As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It's the 49ers Live Room right here on the Athletic in the midst of free agency. What a week it's been. Legal tampering window open on Monday. We're sitting here on Thursday afternoon with the 49ers having signed multiple players, having seen multiple players leave. That is the cost of success, and especially the cost of success when... You see your head coach, or when you see your coaches turn into head coaches elsewhere and your executives turn into general managers elsewhere. I feel it's the Nashville 49ers now with Rand Carthon running the show in Tennessee. And obviously the Houston Texans are are bringing in their share of 49ers as well. But Matt, I mean, the first day of free agency or the first day of that legal, legal tampering window we were ready to do this live room then if we had time. We didn't have time, but we I mean, there was so much to talk about right away. I think it took a, an hour or so to, to start, but once it did, the floodgates opened, and within like a 30-minute period, you had the 49ers land the biggest defensive fish on the market in Javon Hargrave. Jimmy Garoppolo signed with the Raiders, and we'd been waiting for a while to, to see what th- those terms would be and where he'd go, and he signed for about $25 million a year with the Raiders and, and Mike McGlinchey signed for huge money, like over 80 million combined and then 35 million fully guaranteed with the Denver Broncos. And it was just bang, bang, bang on Monday. And I thought that, you know, that three transaction stretch really set the tone for, for, for what we've seen. We've seen the 49ers obviously take a couple bigger swings, but we've also seen them have to let a lot of guys walk. And I think that, as far as letting guys walk, we knew that was going to happen just given the cap situation they were in. The the bigger swing on Hargrave is something that might have caught us a little bit off guard because I don't know if you remember, but we were sitting in that room with John Lynch at the Combine, and I straight up asked him if they're ready to invest a little bit more financially to repair the interior pass rush. And uh, he said, you know, to, to, to land the cornerstone, you usually have to pay out your ears, and we, we don't know if we really want to do that. Well, it turns out he was bluffing, right? They are paying out of their ears for Javon Hargrave, and they're having to do some financial Tetris, some wheeling and dealing to make it all fit. But so far, so good for the 49ers. Yeah, I, I remember I asked a question. I said, uh, you guys had so much success last year in free agency with a you know, a big signing, Charvarius Ward, and then some smaller ones surrounding Ward. And he sort of, he, he didn't really answer that question either. So we were, our questions were kind of hitting the uh, the right buttons, but um, he was uh, in in full obfuscation mode, I think, at that point. Um, but um, you know, you could argue that this is an even bigger one than Charvarius Ward. Uh, Charvarius Ward was sort of c- kind of coming up, wasn't the the top rated uh, cornerback in the draft, but somebody the 49ers rated very highly. Uh, Javon Hargrave, a lot of people had him as number one on their free agent list. I mean, not the highest paid guy, but the the best quality free agent. Um, and uh, boy, he really fits uh, the type of guy that the 49ers like, you know, and when it comes to the 49ers and 
the defense, the defensive line. It's all about what Chris Kacerik likes. And Kacerik likes the guy with burst. And that's what uh, Javon Hargrave is. I mean, I can't get over his 10-yard split coming out of the draft in 2016. It was 1.57 seconds, which, um, you know, for example, Nick Bosa's is 1.62. And DeForest Buckner's is 1.77. And DJ Jones was 1.76. 1.57 is what you see with um, a defensive back or a really, really fast linebacker. Not what you see with a 309-pound guy who also bench pressed something like 29, you know, repetitions of, of 225, et cetera, et cetera. So really kind of um, the, the perfect Chris Kacerik guy. Uh, he's going to line up next to Eric Armstead on that line. And obviously the idea is that you get more pass rush pop and you get maybe a little less attention paid to uh, Nick Bosa on that line. But bottom line, um, just the quintessential 49ers defensive lineman. I think he's the quintessential defensive lineman for anybody. I mean, this is one of the best players in the league. This was a huge signing for the 49ers. Uh, you know, only Chris Jones and Quinnen Williams have had a higher pass rush productivity score over the past two years. So Javon Hargrave has 22 sacks over two years. Like you said, he's extremely explosive, but he could also forklift you. You could also bull rush you the the power move is there as well this is an elite defensive tackle there might be some questions about age but his best two seasons have been his most two recent seasons and this guy's already played well through two big money contracts right i mean he he, first no through through two contracts first he played well through the the rookie deal for pittsburgh and then he played well through a big money contract for philadelphia and now he signs a third contract at age 30. And I think the 49ers have full belief that he's got at least, at least two productive years in him, uh, if not more. That's how this deal is structured. If you're wondering how the 49ers could afford an elite player like this, because we made our roster builder tool, right? And on the roster builder tool, we have uh, the the average per year that we predicted for a player. And, and we put $20 million for Javon Hargrave. And we're, you know, I have to give you credit, Matt. You you're right. And you're right on most of these. I mean, your, your predictions for most of them on the roster builder have been spot on. It was 21 million per year per, for Hargrave, but they've managed to keep his salary cap hit at 6.6 million this season by utilizing dueling bonuses, like the signing bonus is prorated over five years. That's the max. And then he's got a $23 million signing bonus, but but that that's an addition. Uh, In addition to that, he's got a $6 million option bonus that Prague Marathe doesn't have kicking in until next year. And then he's got a void year on the contract. So uh, that option bonus can be stretched out over the next six years in, in, in theory, right? From next season to five years beyond that. So uh, all these cap gymnastics, financial Tetris is what I called it. That's what the 49ers have done to fit Javon Hargrave. And then some of these other signings that we'll talk about onto the boat. And it's got to be extremely exciting for Nick Bosa. I mean, you got Bosa and Hargrave. Now, remember that the 49ers last year were the number one defense in the NFL, but they had a bad interior pass rush. It wasn't productive. Nick Bosa, you know, he, he had some help from Charles Amenahu, maybe a little from Sansa Mebucom early on from Drake Jackson, but Eric Armstead was hurt for most of the year. And then the other defensive tackles outside of Armstead, Matt, eight of them combined for 59 pressures. Hargrave himself had 66 pressures last year. So to me, this is a game changer. He's a better pass rusher than DeForest Buckner, Hargrave is. Uh, the numbers have been consistently better every year. Buckner amongst tackles is about a top 10 defensive tackle, and, and Hargrave's a top three guy as far as the pass rusher goes. So this might open up a new dynamic that we haven't seen yet with this 49ers defense because the last time that Nick Bosa played alongside a, a top 10 pass rusher, a defensive tackle, was 2019. That's when Bosa's a rookie. We know that Bosa is better now. And the numbers say that Hargrave is a, is a better pass rusher than DeForest Buckner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they align these guys. Um, um, I, I, I talked to somebody today who thought it would go, let's just say Bosa's playing on, on at left defensive end. It would go Bosa, Armstead, and then Hargrave, uh, with the idea being that you want your two uh, best pass rushers sort of opposite each other, that the uh, the center will have to go to 
Hargrave's side, which would, uh, you know, eventually loosen things up for uh, Nick Bosa, who, as we all know, gets uh, gets double teamed quite a bit. Um, you were just talking about the salary cap hit. We have a question from Rick Kay um, that uh, you'll be able to answer. He asks, uh, is there cap room to add another edge rusher? Which is where the 49ers seem to be lacking right now. They've got they've they bulked up the interior of the line uh, immensely, but uh, the edges are still a bit thin. He asks uh, Leonard Floyd, Zadarius Smith, someone like that. What do you say to that, David? Yeah, I mean th- those guys are probably going to be a little bit more expensive. Uh, the 49ers currently, I would estimate, have about five million dollars of salary cap space to work with they've already run two restructures just to be under the cap at this point with that five million they restructured charvarius ward and they restructured fred warner there's still some other maneuvers that they could run nick bosa's new contract later on this year which you know is certainly going to happen we, we know that will happen but it just won't happen until there's a little bit more deadline pressure that's going to save some short-term room by spreading out some costs um, but they, they can restructure somebody like Christian McCaffrey is a popular name to throw out there if they're going to need more room. And they will need more room because the draft class itself is going to cost about $9 million uh, with that with that 11-player draft class. Maybe a little bit more if they package some of the picks and they trade up to have fewer picks. But they don't have enough money right now to sign the draft class. We're seeing small moves right before we came on air with this. Demetrius Flanagan Foles. Uh, re-signed T.Y. McGill, the defensive tackle, re-signed. Those are going to be essentially microtransactions in the grand scheme of things. They won't take up all too much room. If you're talking about Zadarius Smith, if you're talking about Yannick Ngankwe, who I believe is still out there. I mean, there are some nice names still out there. Jadavian Clowney, I think we've heard that he wants something like $10 million. He wants He wants a, a, a lot of money. And he's one of those guys that always waits, it seems, till the third, fourth, fifth wave of free agency to see where he might fit in. But if you want some of those nicer names, you're going to have to have room. I'm not so sure that the 49ers are in position for that. And the way I look at the Hargrave signing is this guy was a rising tide that lifted all boats in Philadelphia. That edge rushing core in Philadelphia, they benefited so much from the work that Hargrave was doing on the interior. And I think the 49ers are saying that by investing in this guy, and they also have Eric Armstead, if they could control the middle, if they could generate pressure up the middle, the edge rushers are going to be able to work on a lot of islands one-on-one. And obviously Bosa is going to be drawing attention, even if that is the case. So that means that opposite edge rusher of Bosa, he's going to have room to feast. That's what the, I think that's what the 49ers are banking on. And that's Drake Jackson. That's Cleland Farrell. The 49ers added the former number four pick from the Raiders uh, the other day. That I think they're hoping for him to be an Arden Key type for them or a Charles Amenahu type, somebody that – you know, was obviously talented enough to go in the first round. And you could say the Raiders overdrafted him in the top five, but still he did a lot in college and he's going to have a chance to do something in the NFL if these are his teammates, if it is Hargrave, if it is Armstead, if it is Bosa. So I, I think that this is a situation where the 49ers are going to be economical at that other edge rushing spot because they've already splurged for the rising tide that lifts all boats at defensive tackle. Yeah, the, the the Cleveland Farrell edition allows um, you to have him as the base down guy, which means that you don't have to put uh, Eric Armstead there, and then it allows uh, Drake Jackson to be more of the uh, the nickel, the obvious passing down guy, which is probably what uh, what his role should be, given that he wore down um, as a rookie. Can't kind of count on him to be a, a three down guy at this point in his career. I think that that's the ultimate hope. And, um, you know, we, we should note that uh, John Lynch, he, he talks up everybody, of course. Um, that, that's what he does. But he was really talking up uh, Drake Jackson and, and the leap that they expect him to make and um, the fact that he's, uh, he's starting kind of his conditioning program and all that stuff. So he'll be, he'll be really interesting to watch. I think the 49ers are really kind of leaning on him, um, you know, uh, take, uh, putting a lot of faith that he – um, can translate that uh, just uncanny athleticism into production and, and can do so starting uh, in year two. Got a good question here from John A., who uh, asked, uh, thoughts on right tackle? Seems to be the biggest area of, of uh, need left now. Um, I would agree. I would say uh, uh, tackle and kicker <laughs> are the or the two that, that jump out at the moment. Uh, David, what are your thoughts on the, on the 49ers tackle 
situation and, and whether we're going to see anything more free agency or, or whether they're looking now at the draft as a, as a possibility for that position. Well, I think first it's important to note that left first it's important to note that left tackle, left guard, center, and right guard, I think the 49ers are all are confident with all those positions at this point because uh, they re-signed Jake Brendel at center. So you've got Banks, Aaron Banks at left guard, Brendel at center, Spencer Burford at right guard. Those were all first-year starters last year and and the 49ers were not dissatisfied with with their play. So the the three spots in the middle, you know, they can expect those positions to, to take a step forward in year two. I think that's logical to expect, logical to, to build into the plans. Obviously, you have Trent Williams at left tackle. You have to hope that even as he advances in age, he keeps on delivering the same level of play. So that means that they could really, really focus on this right tackle position now. And I think on top of right tackle, they also will need depth. They've lost Daniel Brunskill. He signed with the Titans. And without quality depth, which Brunskill provided for this offensive line, without a sixth guy, a seventh guy that, that, that can come in and deliver, you're not going to withstand these, these marathons that, that are NFL seasons now. 20 games the 49ers had to play last year between the regular season and the playoffs. So I, I look at right tackle as a dart-throwing exercise. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. And I think it's what the 49ers have to do since – you know, you saw how much McGlinchey went for. They're, they're not going to be able to pay that kind of money to a more proven tackle. And even McGlinchey had his flaws. But you take as many darts as you can and you throw them at the wall. And you see which one hits closest to the bullseye. One dart is Colton McKivitz. They re-signed him to swing tackle money, but they believe in the improvement that he's made. Another dart's Jalen Moore. Not held in as high of regard as Colton McKivitz, but he does have some playing experience. And the 49ers are trying to develop him. And then I think you could bring in another cheaper veteran. You could bring in another rookie or two. And those could be a couple more darts that you could throw at the wall, not just for the right tackle position, but also for the quality depth position. You try to kill two birds with one stone. And, you know, that, that I think that's the way that the 49ers envisioned handling this, entering the, the offseason because they couldn't pay Mike McGlinchey. Then that ended up, you know, their fears in that situation ended up being totally founded. He made that massive contract from Denver. So now they have to moneyball it a bit at that right tackle spot. But I don't think it's the worst thing in the world with those other four spots now taken care of. You can breathe easy about the other four spots, and then you have to trust your development. You have to trust your scouting department for that right tackle spot. I'll, I'll add a couple more scenarios. Um, uh, Leroy Watson is a, uh, is a former uh, college tight end who's making the, uh, the transition into tackle. And I think that uh, transition started going well. I mean, he's at 315 pounds, um, already was a blocking tight end in college, played uh, alongside Spencer Burford at uh, UT San Antonio. Um, he's not the answer for 2023, but he's in the pipeline. And um, I think that he made good strides uh, on the practice squad last year. So uh, I think the 49ers are, are sort of eyeing him. Uh, as a uh, as a guy who could be in the mix, maybe not this off season, um, but he'll be interesting to watch to see how he does when he draws Cleveland Farrell in in one on one pass rush drills, uh, or uh, uh, I don't know if he'll ever go against Nick Bosa, but uh, that sort of thing. And then the other one is uh, they've got these uh, you know eleven draft picks. They've got three at the end of the first uh, end of the third round. I, I just wonder whether they're planning to make a move a little higher into the third round, uh, a little higher on that in day two, because there are some guys um, who are quality tackles probably still around then. And the guy that really jumps out to me is uh, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. He happens to be working out right now with one Joe Staley in Southern California. So um, the 49ers would have a bit of a leg up, I would imagine, and kind of scouting, preparing him for um, his first, uh, you know, OTA session, first off-season program, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think that he, you, you can count on him to be a uh, year one starter. But, hey, Spencer Burford was. He was a fourth-round pick. Uh, maybe a third-rounder could do it. Um, let's go to another question. We got one from Derek G. David and Matt. 
what do you expect Mooney and Oliver's roles will be under Wilkes? He's talking about Isaiah Oliver. Um, I, I, I assume that uh, the plan moving forward, David, is you've got um, Mooney, Traverius Ward, and uh, D'Amador Lenore on the outside. That was the combination that they were working with in the playoffs, and it worked very well. Uh, the 49ers lost Jimmy Ward there nickel cornerback to me it's it's as easy as just saying that the hope is that isaiah oliver comes in and becomes the the jimmy ward the uh the nickel cornerback he's uh he's ward's size about six one a little over 200 pounds good tackler long arms um i don't know if his uh his coverage skills are quite as good as jimmy ward's if he has quite the savvy that, that jimmy ward has um having been in the league since 2014 but I think that's what the hope is, and, and you know that's uh, that that could be a precarious position because if Charvarius Ward goes down, then all of a sudden you've got some some youth back there. I don't know if if the thought is that Isaiah um, Oliver goes to the outside in that scenario, but uh, the, the, that's a, a potentially vulnerable spot for this team right now. I think on paper it looks good. Uh, but there is some youth and there is some uh, development that I think uh, has to happen. And, and Steve Wilkes um, is a is a defensive bass coach. That's what his background is. So I think the hope is that Wilkes plus some of this youth, Ambry Thomas, Sam, uh, Sam Womack, that uh, those guys continue to make strides and maybe become a little bit more dependable in 2023 than they've been thus far. Yeah, my, yeah, I, I think it's clear. I think that Isaiah Oliver, you look at his career trajectory, they brought him in in 2018, second-round pick in Atlanta. He was actually teammates with the Kello Witherspoon at Colorado in, in college. But yeah, he was an outside corner at first, but he only has average speed. He's a 4-5 corner. So a lot of guys now at corner, they run 4-3s. And I think, you know, if, if that 4-5 translates to the field – then it, you're going to get beat on the outside by some of these speed demons on the outside. And that happened to Isaiah Oliver early in his career on some deep passes. So they moved him to the slot because, as you mentioned, he's got long arms. He's got good short area quickness. I think that three-cone time was a 6'7 or 6'8, which is good. And uh, he's got decent size as well to, to pair along with that quickness. So that's those that's like the the holy trinity there for, for the slot corner, right? Because you have to you're playing closer to the fray. You're going to have to take on the run game a lot more often. Um, and, and you need to have those long arms with that short area quickness so that way you can do what you need to against the, the slot receivers of the NFC West. Cooper Cup is playing in there a lot. You're going to see a, a lot of Tyler Lockett in there from the Seahawks. So um, anyway, that, that's where Oliver slots in. The 49ers lost Jimmy Ward, and they gained a specialist. To me, when you look at this 49ers defense 1 through 11, they're better than they were last year. They're not better depth-wise yet, but I wouldn't expect them to be because they still have 30 players to sign to fill out the 90-man roster, and they've lost a lot of depth. Well, 1 through 11, they're better with their biggest weakness, the interior rush, and they filled that nickelback hole that, you know, Jimmy Ward played well for them last year at nickelback, but he was out of position. It took him a while to really find his footing at that spot, and now you have a guy who moved to nickel a couple seasons ago Played his best football last year. Oliver gave up a 72.4 passer rating into his coverage. So the numbers are good. The, the tape is good. He actually intercepted Jimmy Garoppolo last year's that kind of end of half Hail Mary in, in, in Atlanta. So I think that it's a, it's a no-brainer. He plays in that slot corner position, and Emmanuel Mosley plays outside. And, I mean, uh, and sorry, Diamond Lenore plays outside. Emmanuel Mosley obviously is off to Detroit. And I'll add this. Steve Wilkes was in Carolina before this, so he's familiar with Isaiah Oliver. And I would not hesitate to say that Steve Wilkes signed off on this acquisition. And he's a DB guy, right? Steve Wilkes is a former DB coach. So, I mean, he could be creative, too, on that back end because of the Diamond-Lenore potential flexibility to move inside. He could run some multiple coverages where uh, you could scheme stuff up where they're not always in the same spot between Oliver and Lenore. A couple of uh, uh, listeners have asked um, about the possibility of Spencer Burford moving to right tackle this year. Um, I don't see it because I think that, you know, um, he got his start at right guard and they see him as the 
right guard for the future. You don't want to kind of disrupt the progress there. It, right guard has really been the the uh, position that they've scrimped on uh, up until last year. Um, and they put a, a, a rookie there. He's much more physically capable than anyone else that they've had at right guard over the years. So <laughs> if I'm them, I wouldn't do that. But David, what do you think about the prospect of Burford, a, a college tackle, moving to right tackle uh, in year two? Well, who plays right guard in that scenario? You know, that's that's just one of those things where, yeah, yeah you're, you're rearranging the deck chairs, but I don't think it really helps in, in the big picture. So they, they, they started developing Burford as a right guard, unless somebody like Nick Zakel makes a massive surge and you say, okay, we're ready to start Nick Zakel at right guard, then I, I don't see the potential benefit of that. Now, McKivitz, McKivitz was good in, in a short sample size last season. So uh, I think that the most, it's Occam's razor, right? The simplest solution is usually the one that's going to happen. I think the simplest solution is you have Colton McKivitz. Right now, he's your best option. You bring in other guys to compete with him, both through bargain bin free agency and the draft. And again, they all represent darts. The, the more of them you have, the more darts you have to throw at the wall, the better chance you have of hitting the target or maybe even the bullseye. And I think that's how it's going to work. I think once you start moving Burford around, um, that it turns into a situation where you, you've got four of the five positions solidified right now, in my opinion. You're, you're happy with four of the five uh, positions. Once you start moving Burford around, that could go down to three out of five in a hurry. Uh, we got a question from Tom M. who asks, uh, will Warren Burks be starting Will Linebacker to replace Al Shair, or do they draft a linebacker? Um, well, the, the Will Linebacker is Dre Greenlaw. So the, the, the starters will remain Greenlaw and Fred Warner. The question is, will, who becomes the third guy, um, which, which the 49ers call the strong side? Linebacker, and yeah, I, I do think that it's going to be Oren Burks. That's what John Lynch uh, indicated in Indianapolis that uh, Burks becomes that number three guy. He's he's a little bit bigger though than Al Shair and, and Greenlaw. Uh, those guys were sort of cut from the same mold. Can make plays sideline to sideline. Their speed really stood out. Burks is bigger. He's more of a I don't know. I say he's closer to Warner. I wonder about Marcelino McCrary Ball. I mean, this is a guy that's just kind of teeming with athleticism, stuck around on the practice squad all year. The 49ers didn't sign him to that kind of reserve future contract like, like they did the other practice squatters. They, they gave him a little bit more. Um, and so I think that they see real value in him. Um, he's, he's one of my dark horses to watch this, this offseason. Um, can he rise to the point where a he makes the 53-man roster and can he kind of become that uh, that third linebacker the guy that can can play strong side can play will um can can really move and make plays and so um i think that he's he's interesting to watch what do you think david yeah no definitely there's i think the 49ers have a lot of talent that that you know really hasn't had a, a chance to to shine and this this could you know you can move this to all all position groups because they've had such a deep football team so there are players like that that uh, haven't really had their chance to burst into the spotlight yet that this year they're going to be they're going to be one of the darts they're going to be one of the darts the 49ers throw at the wall and we'll see if they stick because they have lost a lot of that b-list depth which is it goes back to what i've been talking about a lot on social media here over the past couple of days, I think it's really clear how the 49ers like to build their football team. They'll pay the A-listers. They'll bend over backwards to, to pay these A-listers. The only instance in which they haven't was with DeForest Buckner a few years ago, and that's because they thought they could replace him with Javon Kinlaw. Uh, but but now they've paid another A-lister, Javon Hargrave, to uh, make up for that loss. But when it comes to good players who aren't great, they let them go in free agency. They are committed to not overpaying these guys. And then that lets, you know, some of the guys who have been lurking in the shadows a little bit further behind, like Jalen Moore, like other players that, you know, have only played a couple games here and there. That's going to give them a chance to, to step up and, and deliver. So I think across the board this year, there's a handful of 49ers players who uh, are going to have a chance to earn bigger roles throughout the offseason program and training camp. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's uh, let's check out our stage queue. I think we we got two guys waiting to talk. Um, let's go with. Uh, uh, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this. Uh, Nahum R. Um, the the stage is yours if you have a question. Hello, how are you guys doing? Great. Okay, I just wanted to know what uh what kind of needs do you guys think they're gonna draft going into the draft? I mean, I think they've covered D line. They got uh. Flanagan Foles, I saw T.Y. McGill earlier. Um, what holes do you think they're going to address going into the draft? Maybe um, another tight end? Yeah, definitely. tight end is, is definitely on the list. Uh, they're missing two right now, and they could sign Croft or Dwelly uh, to, to budget deals, and that would take care of that. But this is the draft to do it. Um, and, and they're sitting at a good spot at the end of the third round for – tight ends and there are going to be some uh that are good blockers there too i like uh paint durham from um from purdue um the michigan tight end uh is a good blocker the penn state tight end is a good blocker uh big big the big 10 <laughs> likes to likes to run the ball uh so their t- tight ends end up uh doing what the 49ers want them to do and all those guys are sort of in that third fourth round range um, the one that really stands out is is Iowa's uh, tight end Brian Laporta, but uh, I don't think anybody thinks that he's going to last until the end of the third round. So, I mean, we talked about offensive tackle; that's a possibility. I still think that they're going to add to the defensive line. That's another deep group, um, and they could uh, they could use a speed rusher. Um, this guy uh, Yaya Diaby, I think he played at. I want to say Louisville. I could have that wrong. But um, somebody that's got uh, the same burst we were talking about, but from the edge position, David, I think would be a nice way to sort of round out that defensive line. What, what, what do you think as far as the draft? I think that everybody keeps on talking about how deep this tight end class is. And I think that the 49ers are clearly eyeing that with with their draft picks, which are not coming until later in the third round. Even if they trade up a little bit, um, you know, I don't think that you can expect premier offensive tackle, premier edge rusher later in the draft where they're picking. I think it's going to be a sweet spot for stuff like tight end, you know, positions like that. And I also think that they need – some depth at that safety position and they would prefer it to be developmental depth that can take over for Tashawn Gibson moving forward past 2023. Gibson's 33 years old, or he will be this upcoming season. They signed him to a one-year deal. He was thinking about retiring after this past year, played really, really well. I think the 49ers are happy that he's coming back for, for one more year, but you've got to start making that contingency, contingency plan moving forward and also have, uh, you know, some some backup plan in case one of the two safeties gets hurt, Gibson or Talano Hufanga. So I think that they should use one of their higher draft picks on on the safety that they like the most. And I think that they're going to be using some draft picks on the tight end position as well. There are, uh, I think, clear roster holes at both. You could really enhance this team if you find a tight end to pair with George Kittle. You know, Matt, there's good news. I, I could see the people asking questions now. All of a sudden, it popped up. So, um, what do you want to? Let's go to another one, Kevin. Um, it's just more of an opinion I have for you guys. Uh, what is your honest opinion on 
Drake Jackson's role in the next two to three years with the 49ers because I'm seeing him as more of a base down defensive end, but not really a third down pass rusher. But that's just me. I just wanted to get your guys' opinions on it. Honest opinion? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I think they drafted him because they think that he can do everything. I mean, um, you know, he's, his athleticism is, is off the charts. I mean, we all see that with the backflips and the vertical jump and all that. And, and um, you know, he's just, uh, just the right size, too. I mean, um, it's that 265, 270-pound type, type of guy. Um, you know, I, I think that they see him as being a, a bookend to Nick Bosa. Uh, I think probably this year he comes in more as a as a pass rusher, but um, I, I think they see him as an all around guy. David, I mean, w- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think they made it clear that they see him as an all around guy. They talked about how much talent he had when they drafted him at number sixty one. They said they thought this was a first round type of talent that dropped because he was misused at USC. And they said, you know, this is the guy who needs to be lined up rushing the passer down in and down out, third downs included. He's got the bend. He's got the arm length. I think we saw the potential already on display early last season. He ran out of gas last year for two reasons. A, he wasn't strong enough, so he wore down over the course of the season. And B, it's tough for a rookie who I think had played a maximum of 11 games in a season during his college career at USC. It's tough for a rookie to last the 20 game season and uh they challenged drake jackson to work on the endurance and work on the strength this off season he's got to be ready to play that nfl marathon and you know i don't think that the, the issue was as much pass rushing prowess when he was fresh i think it was he's got to have some strength to hold up against the run if you're a base down guy that's the first thing you've got to do and that was the bigger weakness for drake jackson this past year 49ers to just have him rushing the passer fresh all year um, you know, lining up, pinning his ears back, working against tackles who are on the retreat. I think that uh, it, it wouldn't be an issue. But the thing is, to, to not be a liability on the field, you've got to be good all around. And, and that's why he's got to get a little bit stronger this year. So I think they definitely view Drake Jackson as a three-down guy. And this offseason of work that he puts in is going to be a big, big part of what's uh, – what's going to determine how the 49ers defensive line looks like moving forward. We toss it to another one, Brian, Brian, how's it going? I'm good. Thank you. How about you? Doing great. So I just know that, um, I know, uh, Hargrave is like an elite pass rusher. I have seen uh, just a few concerns about his run defense. So just wondering if you really think that's, it's going to be an issue. I already know like how elite the run defense is, but do you guys think it's going to be an issue at all next year or, they're going to find a way to like compensate for that. Well, he was actually a run specialist his first two years in Pittsburgh. So I, I don't think he's his, I, I think Philadelphia's defense, their style was just so pin your ears back, get after the quarterback. I think the way that they played left some of those defensive linemen uh, uh, looking a little exposed. And hey, the 49ers play the same way. They don't react at all. Uh, they just fire off the ball. They're not a read and react defense. So the defensive linemen can look bad at times against the run. The thing the 49ers have, and, and I think Matt will agree with me, is they have Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. And they also have two of the best run defending safeties in a game, and Tashawn Gibson and Tano Hufanga. And now they have two of the best run defending corners in a game, and Charvarius Ward and Isaiah Oliver, who was ranked number five or number six in, in, in run defense last year in the PFF grade. And we all know Charvarius Ward missed only one tackle all of last season, so he's elite when it comes to, to run support. Tashawn Gibson finished ranked number one in, in missed tackle rate of all safeties. And we know that Talano Hufanga can be a missile as well. So the 49ers run defense is so reliant on the back seven doing things right, which they do between those linebackers and the secondary. That allows the front four to fire off in, into, you know, kind of pass rushing attack mode. And yeah, some guys are going to get by him. That happened in Philadelphia to Javon Hargrave, but the 49ers are, are better, I think, especially on that linebacker level to erase some of those mistakes. Yeah, the, the Eagles uh, apparently had a couple of things going Thanks, on. They, they had the, uh, the pin your ears back when it came to the pass rush, but they did ask the, um, the defensive tackles uh, to do some read and react 
stuff against the run. And that's not Hargrave's game. Um, uh, you know, early in his career in Philadelphia, it was all read and react, run and pass rush. The last couple of years, it's been more, um, I'm sorry, it was all pin your ears back. The last couple of years, uh, when it came to the run, he was asking to do more read. And that's, that's he's not that type of player. He's not big enough to kind of hold his ground and, and do that uh, two-gap stuff. So bottom line is that, um, you know, with, with the 49ers, he'll, he'll be asked to do what he does best. I mean, it's just such a nice fit. That's why the 49ers went after him. Um, if it wasn't uh, the perfect fit, they wouldn't have uh, paid the, the money that they're, that they're, they're paying. So uh, I, I wouldn't worry about it. He has shown at various points in his career that he's good against the run if he's in the right type of scheme. Let's go to Jamie. Jamie, what's going on? It's taking a little while to add Jamie. He might not add Jamie. Is he there? We got a good question here from uh, Matthew G. I think it's one that a lot of people are wondering. He asked, uh, what do you think happens with the 49ers QB situation if Trey Lance comes out and impresses? Let's say they go 3-0 and before Purdy is ready to come back. David, <laughs> this is, they'll, they'll probably be making all sorts of blogs off of your comment here. So choose your, your words carefully. W- what do you think happens in that scenario, one in which Trey Lance starts out looking really good? He'll just keep playing. I, you know, I, I don't know. If, I don't think it's that complicated. I, I, I don't think the 49ers are looking at this as adversarially as, as the outside looks at this. They, this is a team that a month and a half ago went through – one of the biggest injury catastrophes we've ever seen, right? When they they literally ran out of quarterbacks in the NFC Championship game. To get to that NFC Championship game, they had to go through three different starting quarterbacks. So, I mean, this last season was so exceptional for the 49ers. And it really was also, it was exceptional, but it was also an extension of a lot of QB injury problems in years prior. So this is just part of what the 49ers are having to deal with. Um, b- because of this history, the 49ers are saying, you know, w- we need to step up there and and load up this quarterback room and almost look at it as if it's a running back room and that you got to be able to bring the next man up, right? And and I don't think that, you know, right now it, it's especially pronounced because Purdy has this, this elbow injury. Nobody knows what he's going to look like when he comes back. Trey Lance is obviously the guy that you invested so much in. And if he looks great, that's awesome. And the 49ers will continue to try to build on that. If Trey Lance doesn't look great, that's why you have your other options in the room, right? So I think this will all play out organically. I don't think it's going to be a problem if, if one guy plays well. I think a lot of people are posing this. I, I look on social media and they're like, oh boy, they, they added Sam Darnold. This, is, this means they don't believe in uh, Trey Lance or they don't believe in Brock Purdy's recovery or whatever. It's like, no, no, they, they just are very traumatized but what, by what happened in Philadelphia. And every team is going to carry three quarterbacks at least anyway. I think they're going to add one more in the draft. And then you just let this play out organically. Last year, by letting it play out organically, they got out all the way to the NFC Championship game. Because you had to go through Lance. You had to go through Jimmy Garoppolo and then the Brock Purdy. Obviously, he got hurt as well. So they ran out of QBs. The goal this year is to not run out of QBs and to get as good a play as you can out of somebody like Trey Lance. And if that happens... Everybody's going to be happy, and Trey Lance is going to keep on playing. And the 49ers, I can guarantee you, would love for something like that to happen. If, if Trey Lance has to start the season and he's playing well, uh, there are people smiling in that 49ers building. Yeah, I, I guess the question is, what kind of rope does, does Trey Lance have? I mean, there's no question that if, if the 49ers are, are, are doing well under him and they're undefeated, they're going to keep going with what's delivering them W's. The question is, what if there are L's there? How much uh, rope does Trey Lance get? I mean, what, what about a scenario that the 49ers start out uh, a little bit rocky, maybe like they started out in 2022, um, and Purdy's not ready yet? I mean, how, how soon do you go to Darnold in that situation? So, um, yeah, as long as everything is going well, the 49ers – will not have any uh, issues. Uh, the question is if there are hiccups. And um, like you said, that's going to do have to do a lot with uh, Brock Purdy's health and how good that arm is, how quickly it comes back. 
And we really don't know at this point. And the 49ers don't know either. It's such a, uh, a rare surgery for uh, a quarterback that, um, you know, I, I imagine that they're going to um, be as cautious as possible. And I don't think uh, he, he's going to be ready uh, when, the, when the season begins. So that will give um, Trey Lance his opportunity. And, and frankly, he, he needs it and he needs the reps. And um, in a way, the offseason works out very well for Trey Lance because he's going to get every opportunity to really kind of seize control of that job and to, and to get the, uh, the repetitions that he was lacking coming into the league. And and Sam Darnold is going to get repetitions too. They've got two number three overall picks on on this team now, between Darnold and and Trey Lance. And obviously Trey Lance has been in the system. He's the guy they've invested so much in. But you look at Sam Darnold's deal, that's expandable to eleven point five million dollars. That means that he he can make seven million in incentives, and he doesn't sign that deal unless he thinks there's a chance he could make some of those incentives. So. I think, you know, it's just it's about option power. It was about option power last year at QB. They they lucked into re-signing Jimmy Garoppolo last year, obviously, toward the, the end of the offseason, right before the season started. This year, uh, it, it, it was different. They had to go cheaper on the pay scale, and Sam Darnold was the one quarterback that's there. And they'll let this develop. At, at this current moment, there's only one quarterback on the 49ers roster who's fully cleared the play. And that's Sam Darnold. <laughs> Trey Lance isn't yet. So it's just wild how it's, you know, just gotten to this point. But they have to let it develop organically and build up as much option power. What do the 49ers do at kicker? Are they going to bring back Robbie Gold? Was he bluffing? Or are they are, are the 49ers not bluffing? Are they actually going to go after one of these rookies? That's my question to you, Matt. Well, okay. Let's say they do go after a rookie. Um they could draft the rookie, and I, and I think they'd have to draft that rookie in the third round. Because what if, uh, what if another team is looking to draft a kicker? Like for example, I've heard that Detroit might draft a kicker, and that Detroit might like Jake Moody, the top kicker, because Jake Moody played down the road at Michigan. Um, so the 49ers would have to outmaneuver them to get the guy. Um, but let's just say that they drafted Moody or Chad Ryland from Maryland. Those are the two top guys. They could have that kicker handle all the offseason stuff, really kind of get his feet wet, this, that, and the other. And then they could make a determination at the end of August because there are some teams that have kicker competitions going on. The Chargers, for example, Dustin Hopkins versus Cameron Dicker. They're not keeping two kickers. So one of those guys is going to get cut in late August. The 49ers would have the wherewithal to decide at that point, okay, do we stick with Jake Moody? Do we, you know, uh, put him on the practice squad? And um, do we sign Dustin Hopkins, for example, to be our kicker? So um, I think that there are, there obviously are more kickers out there than there are kicking openings. So the 49ers would always have a fallback. Um, I I do think that uh, Gold is probably – Frustrated right now, he saw Matt Gay go off the board. You know, get get paid the highest amount ever for a kicker. He still sees himself in that echelon. I don't know whether teams are agreeing with that at this point. Obviously not, because nobody signed him. So it could be a situation where the longer this goes, the more acquiescent Robbie Gold would be to uh, sign back with the Forty Nineers. <laughs> Lots of reasons for him to do that. Uh, he knows the kicking battery really well. Tabor Pepper and his holder, Mitch Wisnowski. Um, you know, he, he did say something about wanting to kick in a, in a dome or in a good weather city. Well, you know, Santa Clara is not bad. And the, the, the three division opponents kick in domes. So you're guaranteed three games in domes and another eight, eight or nine, um, you know, in mild, usually mild Santa Clara. Uh, so, and, and there are going to be consequential kicks, which is what he wants. He wants to go to the pro football hall of fame and you go to the pro football hall of fame, uh, by making a lot of kicks over time, which he's going to have, but also making, um, very consequential kicks. And, uh, he's done that and, uh, he'd probably have a, a opportunity to do more of that if he stuck around that that's, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. I think those are. Those are accurate thoughts. I do think that 
we saw a lot of this play out back in 2019. It was different then because the 49ers had applied the franchise tag on Robbie Gold. So he was holding out while he's still under contract. Now he's holding out while not under contract. But oh, until he signs elsewhere, always a chance for him to, to circle back. And I think the 49ers, it's just really important for them to get their price on this because they are so up against the, 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 the cap. And they don't want to become the Rams, right? You, it's like surfing a wave with the salary cap. You could push these expenses backwards, but you can't let the wave come crashing down on you. You can't leave yourself in a position a year or two from now when the only thing you can do is start cutting some of your star players because that you know that's what they call cap hell because even when you're cutting the star players, you're still picking up extra dead, dead cap, but you are saving enough just to stay afloat. You, you just can't get into that mode. So you, you have to be strategic with how you do shuffle this money around and it's not just being strategic on the big $20 million deals. It to be strategic on the deals that are going to be worth anywhere between 3 and $6 million per year. And that Robbie Gold deal is going to fall, obviously, somewhere in that range. I think the 49ers want it to be a lot closer to 3 or 4. Robbie Gold probably wants it to be around 5. Um, but at age 40, it's going to be tough to ask for top 3 kicker money if you're Robbie Gold. So... 49ers said their piece and they said we're going to scout kickers if that's the number you're going to be at and Robbie Gold said well I'm not going to play for San Francisco I'm going to test free agency and you know that's the standoff but we'll see which side blinks first if if it is indeed a standoff and I think that's the way that we might be reading it anyway Matt um, no more questions I think here I think I'm the only one still in the queue for whatever reason so you answered my question really well I appreciate it have anything else to say no, that's it. Uh, I thought we got some good uh, people in the queue. Great questions that we got today. So I, I think this has been a success. It has been a success. And, and my app started working too, which was nice. I saw some of the, the I didn't see the, the chat, but I did see the stage queue questions, which was good toward the end. So maybe next time you can see the chat as well. It would be awesome. All right. Anyway, everybody, thank you so much. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you next time.